This is the Saverin on Steelers podcast from Steelers Nation Radio. Catch Stan every weekday at 2 on your 24-7 home of the black and gold, SNR. It's time for Saverin on Sports. This is not unusual for us to say hello to you at noon, but it is unusual for us to say hello to you at noon on Tuesdays during the football season. Normally this time slot, we would be beginning the Mike Tomlin press conference. But as so many things are unusual and, if you will, out of whack since Saturday in western Pennsylvania because of what transpired on Saturday, the Mike Tomlin press conference will be at 1 o'clock today. So if you're tuning in to hear Coach Tomlin and his weekly press conference, you will just one hour from now. The reason... Uh, Today, many of the funerals for the victims of the shooting tragedy at the Tree of Life Synagogue on Saturday in Squirrel Hill in Pittsburgh uh, included two brothers who had a sister, have a sister, uh, who used to work for the Steelers organization. Uh, She was the director of community relations. Her two brothers uh, were victims in the shooting and their funeral is today. And almost everybody in the Steeler organization, including many players who are off today anyway, but many of the executives in the Steelers organization uh, wanted to attend the funeral for her name is Michelle Rosenthal and her two brothers, Cecil and David, who were murdered. Uh, what other words shall we say? Murdered uh, on Saturday. Uh, and so they wanted to attend the funeral, and that's why the press conference has been moved to 1 o'clock. So stay tuned for that. After the press conference is concluded, uh, Jerry Dulac and Dale Lally will take you up until 2 o'clock. I'm on the air my normal time slot from noon until 1 before the Mike Tomlin press conference begins. And here are some of the topics that we're going to be talking about today. The Steelers' defense, which was considered to be a millstone around, potential millstone, I should say, around the team's neck and their quest for getting to the Super Bowl, um, has been better. And I'm wondering if you are gaining more confidence in the Steelers' defense. The last three weeks, they've been pretty good against varying levels of competition, certainly, but they've been getting much better. So are you gaining more confidence in the Steelers' defense? And as an adjunct to that, are you gaining more confidence in the Steelers, period? A couple of weeks ago, I asked you if you, what team, including the Steelers, you consider the team to beat in the AFC North. Doesn't it now look as though that team would be the Steelers? We'll know a heck of a whole lot more by Sunday afternoon. But based on what you've seen from the Bengals, based on what you saw the Steelers do in Cincinnati, and the fact that Baltimore's now lost two in a row, and the only good team they've beaten, if I'm not mistaken, is the Steelers. Are the Steelers now, as you view it, in a seven-game sample size in their case, are they, do they look like the best team? We find out now, based on reports, that one of the reasons that Artie Burns did not play from scrimmage 
is not only because of his performance, because he did rotate in the starting position during practice last week, but he didn't get a snap in the Cleveland game when there were opportunities to do so because he was late for a team function, a walkthrough. So it was performance-based, but it was also disciplinary in nature. What do you do with this guy? Mike Prezuda, the DV Morning Show and the Steelers Radio Network, will be my guest at 1220. When this topic came up in the postgame show to Charlie Batch and me on the Steelers Radio Network, many of you probably heard that, and on Steelers Nation Radio, somebody called up and said that if and when Le'Veon Bell comes back, that they should not, what should they do about James Conner being the starter? And we responded to the question, and we got a bunch of tweets after that saying, don't even talk about Le'Veon Bell. James Conner's here. Only talk about the guys that are addressed. Well, we were answering a question, and it was a legitimate question. And it's more legitimized today, and I know some of you don't want to talk about it, but you ostriches out there, get your head out of the sand, or... It may be stuck somewhere else. Today's the trading deadline in the NFL, 4 p.m., less than four hours from now. The conventional wisdom, and I shouldn't even use the term wisdom when it comes to this Bell situation, is that he'll, he didn't want to be traded, and so he'll report at 401. You can't trade him then. And he'll sign his tender, and all will be right with the world. But will it? If that plays out, it might not be till tomorrow. They practice tomorrow. He's not going to play against Baltimore Sunday anyway. We've been talking about what should happen. Well, Armageddon may be less than four hours away. What should happen if Bell shows up? Today, tomorrow, whatever it is, we're going to discuss that today at 140. We can discuss it any time if you want. 412-922-2874, pound 970 on your cell. You can email me, stansaverin at iheartmedia.com. You can post on our Facebook page, Saverin on Sports, or you can tweet at Stan Love the Show. As you've heard me say before, the Steelers' defense this year was never going to be the Steel Curtain The 60-minute men, the great defense of 2008, that was never going to be the case. But I did think that I saw some the Jacksonville game notwithstanding. And let's remember, in that playoff game against Jacksonville, the offense contributed mightily. Seven points directly, ten points indirectly by turnovers, which allowed Jacksonville to go up 21-0. Now, that's not to say the defense played well. They most certainly did not. But I really thought that I saw some improvement in the Steelers' defense last year. That was thwarted to a large degree by the injury to Ryan Shazier. But I really thought that while this defense would not be a strength, maybe it wouldn't be a weakness. Maybe it wouldn't be the reason that they didn't get to where they wanted to go. Again, not a strength but at least decent enough 
to not be a drag on what figured to be and has been generally a very good offense. So the expectations were not great. That's not what I'm asking you. And there have been times when they've been anything but. But again, a football season is a 17-week marathon. It's not a sprint, and it shouldn't be judged on a mile-by-mile issue. And it seems to me that this defense is getting better. Better to where they're maybe adequate. And you say, well, they really handled Baker Mayfield and the Cleveland offense. But that's Baker Mayfield and the Cleveland offense, which is kind of rudderless. And you got a rookie quarterback. I I think he's a talented kid, but only one decent wide receiver. But I would go back a couple of weeks, three weeks to be exact, and look at the Atlanta game. As I've said many times, the Falcons are not a good team. But they do have a very good offense. Their issues are on defense. Sound familiar? But that offense is pretty good. And the Steelers, by and large, totally shut them down. In today's day and age, if you tell me you're going to hold an offense, high-powered or otherwise, to 17 points, uh, I'll put my money on the team that's allowing only 17 points the way the game's played today. And that's exactly what happened with the Falcons. You can deny the Steelers' defense all you want. That's fair. But you can't deny that the Falcons have a lot of offensive weapons. And they really controlled that game and that Matt Ryan offense. Now on to Cincinnati. The Bengals have issues. But they do have a pretty good offense. They've been hamstrung somewhat by the loss of Tyler Eifert, no doubt. But they do produce a lot of points. The record shows that. And yet the Steelers held them to 21 points. The same thing applies, especially on the road. If you tell me in this day and age that you're going to hold your opponent to 21, you've got a pretty good chance of winning based on the way the game is played, and B, based on the Steelers' offense. I mean, the Steelers are one of the highest-scoring teams in the NFL. They've had some bad games, certainly against Baltimore. And you can argue against Cleveland. Seven turnovers or six turnovers, whatever it was, that'll do that. And, yes, they did allow the Bengals to drive the length of the field to take a touchdown and go ahead. And I'm not ignoring that. But, again, we're not talking about a great defense. And I'm including that in the overall evaluation. But I also think that, again, if you would have told me before that game in Cincinnati that the Steelers will allow Andy Dalton and A.J. Green and Joe Mixon and Tyler Boyd and all those guys 21 points, 
no matter how they occurred, I would say, I'll take it. I'll take that. I think the defense has come together. I think your outside linebackers, especially Dupree, playing better. I think Stefan Tuitt, at least in two of the last three games, is beginning to be the dominant player that many expect him to be. They've made some adjustments using L.J. Fort, now that he's healthy again, at inside linebacker on passing downs. Joe Hayden is playing great. I think the addition of Morgan Burnett means a lot more than just his particular play. Because now it allows them, it's like a game of dominoes. It now allows them to put people where they belong. Cam Sutton was filling in for Burnett's position, but that's not really what he does or does best. He did a pretty good job. But now you can use him on the corner. I mean, I don't have a lot of faith in Cody Sensabaugh. Right now, I don't have any faith in Artie Burns, and quite obviously, neither do the Steelers. But Burnett now, in addition to his individual play, gives them some versatility. Sean Davis hasn't made any splashy plays, but since the first couple of weeks, and especially the Kansas City game, when Joe Hayden did not play, the one thing I find encouraging, and yeah, the Browns aren't the best arbiter of that, but certainly... Atlanta and Cincinnati are, you don't see those guys 50 yards wide open with Steelers defensive backs, hands on their hips, looking at one another like, isn't that your guy? Well, my guy must have been your guy. You're not seeing that. We'll see what happens in Baltimore. I don't know if they present as big an offensive threat as Cincinnati or Atlanta does, but... It's a big game. 412-922-2874, pound 970. Lincoln in Seattle, Washington. Hello, Lincoln. Hi, Stan. Um, just want to give out a, um, a prayers to the families there in the um, Squirrel Hill area and uh, the tragedy over there. Um, uh, to the game, um, I feel, just tell me if, if I'm wrong and stuff like that, but um, back in the uh, couple years back when we had Harrison and the other person, Harrison had such a great leverage on the um, lineman that he could circle around Joe Flacco and knock the ball out and Troy Palama and all that. Where it's now is it seems like Bud and... Um, why get the offensive linemen? They're just they're, they're really physical, and they push them out, and Joe steps up in the pocket and throws the ball. So I think the most important thing for this week would be like the middle rush and coming up the middle, where the two well, sides they all, up the middle. They, they, I mean, it all works hand in hand. If you're outside. Um, linebackers can create that. It forces the quarterback to step up where the inside people, the down people, can get at him. 
Conversely, if you're able to move the quarterback off his spot and Flacco's not the most mobile guy in the world, then your outside linebackers or your defensive ends, depending on their responsibilities, have a chance to get him. I mean, it all works hand in hand. Um, if you get a great push up the middle, then that collapses the pocket. If you get outside pressure, it forces him to step up uh, and, and you know maybe move him off his spot, which disrupts the pattern, the timing, uh, and all that that kind of stuff. Um, you know the issue is, I mean, scheme is a part of it, but it's still execution by the players. Uh, up until this point, Bud Dupree has been disappointing. Uh, he seems to be getting it. They've shown a lot of faith in him and, and frankly, a lot of faith monetarily in, in Bud Dupree. Um, he, he's, he's better. Um, he's not James Harrison. He's not Jason Gilden. He's not Joey Porter. But you know, he, he, he's getting there, and he's making better adjustments once he gets in the backfield. Um, just something that doesn't show up in the stats. He's the one who forced the holding call in the end zone. That netted them a safety. Lincoln, thanks so much for the call. Um, pass rush, especially against this team, the one thing about them, um, they don't have much of a running game. They do not have a running game. They've struggled with it all season long. About a third of their rushing yards, more than that actually, last week in the game against Carolina was by quarterback. Yeah, Flacco had 14 yards rushing, uh, and Lamar Jackson had about 30 or 40. Uh, but the, the, their running game has, has not been good. Um, which allows you, of course, to focus uh, on defending the pass. We're going to talk about all these issues coming up with Mike Prezuda of the Steelers Radio Network. Le'Veon Bell, very well, very well could report later today or tomorrow or something this week after the trade deadline. What do you do with him if he shows? That's all ahead on Savern on Sports. Broadcasting from the Steelers facility on the south side, Mike Tomlin Prescott coming up one. At one on ESPN Radio. The Saverin on Steelers podcast from Steelers Nation Radio. Denzel Ward and the Steelers, a 43-yard bomb to possibly take the lead. They are a really good team. They're, they're not the Browns of the old. They're, they're, they've got a lot of high picks. They've got guys that understand how to play the game a little bit better. Um, I guess, uh, we, you know, we answered the question of the day, who's the better team? That is Ramon Foster, sort of the unofficial spokesman of the Steelers offensive line, which performed brilliantly in the ball game on Sunday, and generally does anyway. I've asked about your confidence in the Steelers' defense. Uh, is it growing, and is your confidence in the Steelers as a team uh, to win this division growing? Uh, Gary posts on Facebook and said, it's always hard to be confident with the Steelers. They never seem to have that machine-like efficiency of a Patriots team. It's always like a roller coaster. Um, but three wins in a row, as Mike Tomlin likes to say, Arrow pointed up. We're joined now by Mike Prezuda of the DB Morning Show and one of our hosts on the Steelers Radio Network. Welcome, Mike. How you doing? I'm doing great, Ben. How you doing? I'm fine. Thanks very much. Um, I think our expectations for this Steelers defense, um, no one was going to equate it with the Steel Curtain, um, but most people were thinking, could it get to a point where it would be adequate to complement or just hang in there with a very good offense? Do you think that the Steelers' defense is getting better incrementally? Oh, without question. Uh, it, it's interesting to see the way they responded. They probably had their low point against Baltimore the first time just from the way they got pushed around physically. I know they only gave up a couple of touchdowns, but the Ravens had the ball the entire second half, and they just – held on to it and kicked field goals and methodically ground the Steelers in the dust. And now the Steelers are doing that to other teams. We had Cam Hayward on the morning show today 
as we do every Tuesday, and he said that Mike Tomlin told the defense before that second Cleveland game that they needed to make a good first impression on Baker Mayfield and Nick Chubb. And uh, Hayward said the Steelers responded by playing, as he put it, bully ball, unquote. <laughs> so they've, they've got the physicality back. They've got a lot of that on offense. They've got a lot of that on defense. They're starting to figure things out. It, the, the 60B stuff looked a whole lot better with Morgan Burnett as one of the 60Bs and with LJ Fort as the lone linebacker in that package. Now they just got to figure out quarterback opposite Joe Hayden. Uh, yeah, they do. Um, was this just a matter of urging them to be more physical? Um, you know, is it is it more a mindset, or is it uh, by you know some of the players who are seeing a bit more playing time now? I, I think it starts with the mindset, Stan. Uh, th- there are other factors, but I think first and foremost you have to want to be that and be determined to be that. And I think uh, the way they got punched in the mouth by Baltimore on uh, offensively and defensively, really turned out to be the turning point for this season. Uh, at, at that juncture, they were either going to go away quietly or they were going to get off the deck and do something about it. And they have gotten off the deck and done something about it. You know, you mentioned cornerback, and I've asked people, what do you do with Artie Burns? Uh, last week, Mike Tomlin said that he's got a, paraphrasing now, uh, smile at the adversity. It's going to come. You have to deal with it. And by all accounts, he had a pretty good week of practice, but we found out subsequently, or find out based on reports, that he did not play from scrimmage, not only because of his performance, but because he missed a walkthrough. So um, it it seems like, uh, as opposed to coming back and and doing what needed to be done, he kind of pouted a little bit. Yeah, Artie is a strange case. Uh, There's nobody over there that will tell you he lacks the speed necessary, the, the physicality necessary. He should be better than this. And when they first started doing this rotation stuff with Cody Sensiball back uh, in the Tampa Bay game, I wasn't a big fan of it because I think Sensiball proved last year he's a short-term fix at best. And B, the upside with Artie Burns, I was, I was hoping they would just let him play through it. But, boy, he really bottomed out in that Bengals game. The touchdown he gave up to Tyler Boyd was laughable. And then uh, letting Erickson run right by him and getting a penalty on what turned out to be the drive that could have gotten the Steelers beat at Paul Brown Stadium. They yanked him out of the game right after that. You never see that happen with cornerbacks. Um, Artie Burns is at a low point. When they started doing the rotation stuff, a couple of us talked to him about it. and He said, hey, this is either going to make me or break me. I, I know they brought me here to make plays. I know I can make the plays they need me to make. I just got to make them. And the longer this goes, the less communicative already becomes with the media. Uh, it's down to one or two word answers, whereas it was yesterday. Sorry, got to go, got a meeting. Uh, I guess we're going to find out if he's mentally tough enough to fight through this the way Mike Tomlin uh, says you got to be to fight through these kind of things. But, uh, you know, where's your money in that, in that uh, equation, Stan, if you're betting on it? Yeah, no question about that. Uh, you, know, you know, it's one thing, by all accounts, um, and maybe you've got a better handle on this than I do, but by all accounts, everybody I've talked to said he had a good week of practice and he rebounded well from that benching in Cincinnati. But then, you know, you're late for a walkthrough. Um, that tells me that your head is not into it, and that's the thing that bothers you about Artie Burns. Uh, no one's doubted that he's got the physical ability, but he often gets confused, forgets his assignment, thinks he's going to get help when he's not. Um, that just shows me a great deal of maturity. It shows me that he's not paying 
you know, paying proper lack, uh, proper attention to, you know, being on the details. Um, and then by showing you're walking uh, or showing up late to a walkthrough, that tells me that there's a high level of immaturity here, not lacking in physical talent. Yeah, it also tells me Artie Burns isn't an all-pro because uh, you, don't, you don't have to search too hard on the south side to find someone that tells you that uh, Antonio Brown's late a lot and Le'Veon Bell, when he's on the team, is late a lot. But, uh, you know, those guys can can function that way and still be great on Sunday. Being great on Sunday is what matters. And uh, we just haven't seen anything approaching that out of Artie Burns, which is, again, strange because I thought he was really good in training camp, Stan. Uh Willingly uh, dealing with Antonio Brown and wanting to get those reps and looking bad sometimes, sure, but also uh, making his share of plays. And uh, when he was doing interviews in camp, he was talking about his understanding now of how there's a clock on every play, and when it gets to be so long, you know what it's going to be, and you know when to take a chance and when not to, and when to jump around and when to go for the ball. It, it all sounded so wonderful in August, but. Uh, Man, that Bengal game was, was below the line, as Mike Tomlin would say. Yeah, without a question of a doubt, I suppose the one hope is that he's still only 23 years old. But uh, in your third year in the NFL, you ought to be starting to get it. And apparently he's got some lessons uh, that, that he has to learn. And um, the problem with that is they're going to play better offenses than Cleveland. And, and they're going yes. to uh, you know, you're going to need Artie Burns, the guy you thought he was going to be against Drew Brees. You're going to need that guy against Tom Brady. Uh, they it could go either way still. I mean, not writing a guy off totally, but it's it's not been an inspiring season. And I think right now that's the maybe the lingering issue with the Steelers' defense. They have addressed a number of them. Uh, they still got that one to sort out. Uh, undoubtedly. You know, it's kind of like a, a jigsaw puzzle. One piece affects the next one. Um, it's almost like hockey in the respect that if you make a change on one line, it's going to affect two or three others uh, when you do that kind of thing. The return of Morgan Burnett, he didn't play a whole lot on Sunday and didn't stand out. But um, his mere presence, A, that's what he was brought in here to do to play that position, but it also frees up Cam Sutton. We don't know about the condition of Cody Sensabaugh and his foot. Uh, we'll find out perhaps in the press conference coming up in about uh, half an hour or so. Uh, do you think that Cam Sutton, now that Burnett is back and Sutton did well but is not perfectly suited for that position, might be your answer at cornerback? Uh, I don't. I'm not a big fan of Cam Sutton on the corner. I like I like him as uh, one of those uh, sub-package uh, play here and there type of guys. He is versatile. I don't know if he's got the speed to hold up a corner, quite frankly. Um, we might we might find out, but uh, the Burnett uh, inclusion, uh, you almost forget what, how much they were counting on that guy when they signed him because he missed so much time in camp and early in the season. But that's a you know he's playing that linebacker type position in the six defensive back stuff, and uh, he's a veteran guy. They all trust him. Uh, they, they think he's going to do the right thing. He's, he's not going to blow assignments. He's going to be able to cover. He's going to be able to support the run. You know, is, is he this year's proposed answer to Rob Gronkowski? Because they haven't had one yet, ever. But uh, watch that game last night. Buffalo put a bigger body on him, messed with him at the line of scrimmage. They only had three catches for 40-something yards. That, uh, that Patriots team, by the way, did not look so machine-like uh, last night against a really bad Buffalo team. 
Yeah, undoubtedly. I mean, I frankly thought the Patriots were vulnerable last year, but the Steelers, um, through their own doing, never got a chance to, to, to discover that. Um, the Baltimore games, we think back, and now we kind of refresh. I, I try to go back and uh, remember what happened in that game and, and you know, look at some tape and, and you know, read some stuff. Um, I think it's fair to say that that was the low point of the season. Teams evolve, they better, or, um, you know, you, you end up, you know, being 0-7 or something. Um, was that game against – I realize that you'll have a better answer for me about 4 o'clock Sunday, but do you look at that and say that game was an aberration based on the Steelers winning three in a row now and Baltimore having lost two in a row, albeit against two good teams? I, I don't think aberration. I think it might be uh, an indication of how far they've come. I, I think they got what they deserved at that point. And if they had continued to play that way, uh, we'd be talking about a, an extended losing streak rather than a winning streak. Uh, they weren't uh, a good enough team back then, and they're uh, a much better team now. But uh, what it means for this Sunday, I, I, over the years, Stan, I've really come to respect the way the Ravens embrace these Pittsburgh games. And it doesn't matter if they're great or they stink. They play well against the Steelers. They play hard against the Steelers. So I expect another, you know, tooth pull uh, type experience in terms of uh, how much of a pain it's going to be to get out of there with a win. I'm not saying they're not going to win, but, uh, man, I I keep going back to that year that Baltimore won five games and and two of them were against Pittsburgh. And Baltimore won with Ryan Mallett, a quarterback for crying out loud. John Harbaugh is a pretty good coach. He does nothing better than getting his team prepared to play Pittsburgh. I think that's a great point, and that's absolutely correct. And uh, however good or bad they are, it's not a true reflection of their ability when they play uh, the Steelers. But I, yeah, also... I guess that was a long-winded way of saying I don't care that they've lost a couple in a row. Okay, and, and they have lost to, you know, the, you know they've also lost to Cleveland, um, which the yeah. Steelers almost did too, um, going back to the first week. But I'm wondering, as I, I again, think back to that game, did the Steelers, and it's always a push-pull kind of thing, uh, but did the Steelers make the Ravens, based on where they're at now, did the Steelers make the Ravens look better than they actually are? Uh, I think they let them run the ball, and that's a problem. Um, they, probably a little of both. I mean, I, I don't think that's a bad Baltimore team. I, I don't think it's uh, a top-tier contender in the AFC, but I don't think it's an 8-8 eight eight team either. Um, pro- probably a little of both. Uh, I, I think you, you go back to how Poorly, the Steelers were playing at that point, and and how well Baltimore traditionally plays against Pittsburgh, and it was just sort of a bad, you know, wrong place at the wrong time type of deal. Um, I, I think the Steelers will play a lot better this time, and I think it'll be a much closer game. And lastly, Mike, in that well, a couple of things. Uh, um, in that regard, are are you think there's gaining evidence? That and again, we'll find out after Sunday that that the Steelers, as many expected before the season began, that the Steelers are the best team in the division. Yeah, I would agree with that. Sure, uh, I might uh, I might agree with that even if they lose Sunday. Although I think that you know I wasn't expecting as much from Baltimore as I've seen to this point. Now it's only the midway point or so, but I think the Ravens are better than I thought they were going to be. But uh, yeah. I, I think the Steelers team still has another gear if they can get that quarterback thing figured out. And, um, boy, I'm wondering what it would look like if uh, Le'Veon Bell shows up and gets himself in a good shape. 
uh, how how the offense might function. I don't know if you had Heinz Ward or excuse me Antonio Brown, Juju Smith Schuster, Vance McDonald, James Conner, and Le'Veon Bell as your five skill guys on the field. Uh, I wonder what they might be able to accomplish with that. Well, that was my final question because that's the next segment. Um, we know the trading deadline is coming up in about three hours and 24 minutes to be exact. Um, and it uh, wouldn't surprise anybody to see Bell burst through the front door at 4-0-0-0-0-0-1. If indeed that happens, whether it's right at 4-0-1 or whether it's tomorrow, whatever it is, how do you think the Steelers will deal with that as far as he, you know, he's concerned? Um, do they put him on the exemption uh, roster exemption list? Uh, how much time does he get? All those kinds of variables. I think it's entirely up to Le'Veon Bell what he looks like when he gets here. If he, if he looks like the guy on the jet ski, it's going to be a problem, right? <laughs> uh, if he's in shape and, and he can help, come on down. Uh, I, don't, I don't think there's going to be any kind of hard feelings. I don't think they're going to mess with him uh, for any financial reason. If they bring him back, it's to help him win football games. And if he can help him win football games, everybody in that locker room will accept him. Uh, maybe this is the perfect uh, – scenario playing out in retrospect, Stan, because he didn't, he, Bell didn't want to wear and tear 400 touches. What if he's fine with being a compliment to James Conner? What if Conner's in the backfield and Bell's in the slot and he ends up catching a bunch of balls? What if they change him? What if they're interchangeable in terms of how they can line him up? Uh, what if they just pound away and split the carries? Uh, there's a lot of possibility if Le'Veon Bell's the guy that we remember. Now, if he's not, then I don't think it's going to go very far, but I, I think this could still play out a number of ways, which is why I think a bunch of us keep asking about it and, and thinking about it. Uh, it's intriguing still. Uh, it is, and and uh, I would imagine you know people will be scoping out the facility uh, here where we're at today uh, to see if he does show up as the watch continues, as it has uh, really since the, the first practice of the first week of the regular season. He can't regular... the whole year out, right? He can't just leave $14 million on the on the floor, right? Well, if he figures he's going to be an unrestricted free agent, you know, at, at, at some point next year, um, and, and he's banking on that huge payday, um, I, one thing, Mike, you wouldn't think so, but, um, I mean, I think his value will decrease if he doesn't play it down this year. I do. I, I don't think that, you know, people will be willing to invest, uh, you know, that as much as he thinks he's going to get uh, if, if he doesn't play it down uh, this year. Uh, you know, but it only takes you know one team to go ahead and yeah. do that. Um, yeah, that's absolutely okay. There'll be at least one. Yeah. Sure. And the other thing is too. Let's let's remember something. It's, you know, it's a lot of money, but let's also remember that the man made twelve and a half million dollars last year. Um, and, and unless you just you know totally frittered that away, uh, you're not going to be at, uh, standing in any bread lines anytime soon. Not to mention the money that he made up until that point with signing bonuses. So you know maybe it's not all that important to him. It's to him, I think it's the principle of here's what I am, here's what I do, here's what I should be paid to be what I am and to do what I do. Well, if it's principle, God bless him. Uh, I can tell you this: I, I took some of the same economics classes at Michigan State that he probably took. <laughs> and they weren't teaching us to leave $14 million on the table. And you're, you're assuming that he was actually going to class. That, that may be. Oh, well, yeah, that's pretty big. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that, that. Never mind. Yeah, me, yeah. Yeah, that's not a good analogy. I'm glad you went, though. There were, there uh, were two econ classes that were mandatory for all freshmen. But, uh, 
Then again, I don't know if that applied to varsity athletes. So There you go. There you go. Mike, thanks very much. Uh, always enjoy the conversation. Mike, on the DV Morning Show, of course, every morning, and on the pregame show beginning at 11 a.m. Sunday morning as the Steelers head to Baltimore. Thanks a lot, Mike. That's Mike Prezuda of the DV Morning Show. Uh, Le'Veon Bell, he very well could show up today. You know, it's, it's sort of like that thing um, – uh, you know, you sort of never know when it's coming. And you, ah, well, you know, well, that'll be next week and put it off. There have been so many, well, Bell sighting. He's going to show up next week. He's going to show up the bye week. Well, the latest of the latest is that he didn't want to get traded, so that's why he hasn't reported. But the trade deadline's at 4. Um, if he shows up after 4, they can't trade him, if indeed that's what he has been worried about. So, again, another deadline is here. It's sort of an arbitrary deadline, but it's another one. So if he shows and signs his tender, what do the Steelers do? Both with the contract with him and the division of labor between Bell and James Conner. We'll talk about that next. Mike Tomlin Press Conference coming up at the top of the hour right here on Saveron Sports on ESPN Pittsburgh. The Saveron Steelers podcast from Steelers Nation Radio. Plus side of the field for the first time in this football game. Ben stays shotgun, wide side to his left. He's back looking left. And over the middle, he fakes, throws it down the field. It's caught, and Tamir Brown into the end zone. Ben and Lip forward. And Brown, in the meantime, as Ben bought time, got behind the corner, Denzel Ward, and the Steelers, a 43-yard bomb to possibly take the lead. They are a really good team. They're, they're not the Browns of the old. They're, they're, they've got a lot of high picks. They've got guys that understand how to play the game a little bit better. Um, I guess, uh, we, you know, we answered the question of the day, who's the better team? That is Ramon Foster, sort of the unofficial spokesman of the Steelers' offensive line, which performed brilliantly in the ball game on Sunday, and generally does anyway. I've asked about your confidence in the Steelers' defense. Uh, is it growing, and is your confidence in the Steelers as a team uh, to win this division growing? Uh, Gary posts on Facebook and said, it's always hard to be confident with the Steelers. They never seem to have that machine-like efficiency of a Patriots team. It's always like a roller coaster. Um, but three wins in a row, as Mike Tomlin likes to say, Errol pointed up. We're joined now by Mike Prezuda of the DB Morning Show and one of our hosts on the Steelers Radio Network. Welcome, Mike. How you doing? I'm doing great, Ben. How you doing? I'm fine. Thanks very much. Um, I think our expectations for this Steelers defense, um, no one was going to equate it with the Steel Curtain, um, but most people were thinking, could it get to a point where it would be adequate to complement or just hang in there with a very good offense? Do you think that the Steelers' defense is getting better incrementally? Oh, without question. Uh, it, it's interesting to see the way they responded. They probably had their low point against Baltimore the first time just from the way they got pushed around physically. I know they only gave up a couple of touchdowns, but the Ravens had the ball the entire second half, and they just – held on to it and kicked field goals and methodically ground the Steelers in the dust. And now the Steelers are doing that to other teams. We had Cam Hayward on the morning show today, as we do every Tuesday, and he said that Mike Tomlin told the defense before that second Cleveland game that they needed to make a good first impression on Baker Mayfield and Nick Chubb. And uh, Hayward said the Steelers responded by playing, as he put it, bully ball, unquote. <laughs> so they They've got the physicality back. They got a lot of that on offense. They got a lot of that on defense. 
They're starting to figure things out. It, the, the 60B stuff looked a whole lot better with Morgan Burnett as one of the 60Bs and with LJ Fort as the lone linebacker in that package. Now they just got to figure out quarterback opposite Joe Hayden. Uh, yeah, they do. Um, was this just a matter of urging them to be more physical? Um, you know, is it is it more a mindset, or is it uh, by you know some of the players who are seeing a bit more playing time now? I, I think it starts with the mindset, Stan. Uh, th- there are other factors, but I think first and foremost you have to want to be that and be determined to be that. And I think uh, the way they got punched in the mouth by Baltimore uh, offensively and defensively really turned out to be the turning point for this season. Uh, at, at that juncture, they were either going to go away quietly or they were going to get off the deck and do something about it. And they have gotten off the deck and done something about it. You know, you mentioned cornerback, and I've asked people, what do you do with Artie Burns? Uh, last week, Mike Tomlin said that he's got a, paraphrasing now, uh, smile at the adversity. It's going to come. You have to deal with it. And by all accounts, he had a pretty good week of practice, but we found out subsequently, or find out based on reports, that he did not play from scrimmage, not only because of his performance, but because he missed a walkthrough. So um, it, it seems like, uh, as opposed to coming back and, and doing what needed to be done, he kind of pouted a little bit. Yeah, I, I, Artie is a strange case. Uh, there's nobody over there that will tell you he lacks the speed necessary, the, the physicality necessary. He should be better than this. And when they first started doing this rotation stuff with Cody Sensiball back uh, in the Tampa Bay game, I wasn't a big fan of it because I think Sensiball proved last year he's a short-term fix at best. And B, the upside with Artie Burns, I was, I was hoping they would just let him play through it. But, boy, he really bottomed out in that Bengals game. The touchdown he gave up to Tyler Boyd was laughable. And then uh, letting Erickson run right by him and getting a penalty on what turned out to be the drive that could have gotten the Steelers beat at Paul Brown Stadium. They yanked him out of the game right after that. You never see that happen with cornerbacks. Um, Artie Burns is at a low point. When they started doing the rotation stuff, a couple of us talked to him about it. and He said, hey, this is either going to make me or break me. I I know they brought me here to make plays. I know I can make the plays they need me to make. I just got to make them. And the longer this goes, the less communicative already becomes with the media. Uh, it's down to one or two word answers, whereas it was yesterday. Sorry, got to go, got a meeting. Uh, I guess we're going to find out if he's mentally tough enough to fight through this the way Mike Tomlin uh, says you got to be to fight through these kind of things. But, uh, you know, where's your money in that, in that uh, equation, Stan, if you're betting on it? Yeah, no question about that. Uh, you, know, you know, it's one thing, by all accounts, um, and maybe you've got a better handle on this than I do, but by all accounts, everybody I've talked to said he had a good week of practice, and he rebounded well from that benching in Cincinnati. But then, you know, you're late for a walkthrough. Um, that tells me that your head is not into it, and that's the thing that bothers you about Artie Burns. Uh, no one's doubted that he's got the physical ability, but he often gets confused, forgets his assignment, thinks he's going to get help when he's not. Um, that just shows me a great deal of maturity. It shows me that he's not paying, you know, paying proper lack, uh, proper attention to you know being on the details. Um, and then by showing you're walking uh, or showing up late to a walkthrough, that tells me that there's a high level of immaturity here, not lacking in physical talent. Yeah, it also tells me Artie Burns isn't an all-pro because uh, 
you don't, you don't have to search too hard on the south side to find someone that tells you that uh, Antonio Brown's late a lot and Le'Veon Bell, when he's on a team, is late a lot. But, uh, you know, those guys can, can function that way and still be great on Sunday. Being great on Sunday is what matters. And uh, we just haven't seen anything approaching that out of Artie Burke, which is, again, strange because I thought he was really good in training camp, Stan. Uh, willingly... Uh, Dealing with Antonio Brown and wanting to get those reps and looking bad sometimes, sure. But also uh, making his share of plays. And uh, when he was doing interviews in camp, he was talking about his understanding now of how there's a clock on every play. And when it gets to be so long, you know what it's going to be. And you know when to take a chance and when not to. And when to jump around and when to go for the ball. It it all sounded so wonderful in August. But, uh, man, that Bengal game was, was below the line, as Mike Tomlin would say. Yeah, without a question of a doubt, I suppose the one hope is that he's still only 23 years old, but uh, in your third year in the NFL, you ought to be starting to get it, and apparently he's got some lessons uh, that, that he has to learn. And um, the problem with that is they're going to play better offenses than Cleveland. And, and they're going yes. to uh, you know, you're going to need Artie Burns, the guy you thought he was going to be against Drew Brees. You're going to need that guy against Tom Brady. Uh, they it could go either way still. I mean, not writing a guy off totally, but it's, it's not been an inspiring season. And I think right now that's the maybe the lingering issue with the Steelers' defense. They have addressed a number of them. Uh, they still got that one to sort out. Uh, undoubtedly. You know, it's kind of like a, a jigsaw puzzle. One piece affects the next one. Um, it's almost like hockey in the respect that if you make a change on one line, it's going to affect two or three others uh, when you do that kind of thing. The return of Morgan Burnett, he didn't play a whole lot on Sunday and didn't stand out, but um, his mere presence, A, that's what he was brought in here to do to play that position, but it also frees up Cam Sutton. We don't know about the condition of Cody Sensabaugh and his foot. Uh, We'll find out perhaps in the press conference coming up in about uh, half an hour or so. Uh, Do you think that Cam Sutton, now that Burnett is back and Sutton did well but is not – perfectly suited for that position, might be your answer at cornerback. Uh, I don't, I'm not a big fan of Cam Sutton on the corner. I like, I like him as uh, one of those uh, sub-package uh, play-here-and-there type of guys. He is versatile. I don't know if he's got the speed to hold up a corner, quite frankly. Um, we, might, we might find out. But uh, the Burnett uh, inclusion... Uh, you almost forget what, how much they were counting on that guy when they signed him because he missed so much time in camp and early in the season. But that's a, you know, he's playing that linebacker type position in the six defensive back stuff, and uh, he's a veteran guy. They all trust him. Uh, they, they think he's going to do the right thing. He's, he's not going to blow assignments. He's going to be able to cover. He's going to be able to support the run. You know, is, is he this year's proposed answer to Rob Gronkowski? Because they haven't had one yet ever. But uh, watching that game last night, Buffalo put a bigger body on him, messed with him at the line of scrimmage. They only had three catches for 40-something yards. That, uh, that Patriots team, by the way, did not look so machine-like uh, last night against a really bad Buffalo team. Yeah, undoubtedly. I mean, I frankly thought the Patriots were vulnerable last year, but the Steelers, um, through their own doing, never got a chance to, to, to discover that. Um, the Baltimore games, we think back, and now we kind of refresh, I, I – try to go back and uh, remember what happened in that game and, and, you know, look at some tape and, and, you know, read some stuff. 
Um, I think it's fair to say that that was the low point of the season. Teams evolved; they better, or um, you know, you, you end up you know being zero and seven or something. Um, was that game against? I, I realize that you'll have a better answer for me about four o'clock Sunday, but do you look at that and say that game was an aberration? based on the Steelers winning three in a row now and Baltimore having lost two in a row, albeit against two good teams? I, I don't think aberration. I think it might be uh, an indication of how far they've come. I, I think they got what they deserved at that point. And if they had continued to play that way, uh, we'd be talking about a, an extended losing streak rather than a winning streak. Uh, they weren't uh, a good enough team back then, and they're uh, a much better team now. But uh, what it means for this Sunday, I've, I've, over the years, Stan, I've really come to respect the way the Ravens embrace these Pittsburgh games. And it doesn't matter if they're great or they stink. They play well against the Steelers. They play hard against the Steelers. So I expect another, you know, tooth-pulled uh, type experience in terms of uh, how much of a pain it's going to be to get out of there with a win. I'm not saying they're not going to win, but... Uh, Man, I keep going back to that year that Baltimore won five games and two of them were against Pittsburgh. And yeah. Baltimore won with Ryan Mallett, a quarterback for crying out loud. John Harbaugh is a pretty good coach. He does nothing better than getting his team prepared to play Pittsburgh. I think that's a great point, and that's absolutely correct. And uh, however good or bad they are, it's not a true reflection of their ability when they play uh, the Steelers. But I, yeah, also... I guess that was a long-winded way of saying I don't care that they've lost a couple in a row. Okay, and and they have lost to you know the, you know they've also lost to Cleveland, um, which the Steelers almost did too, um, going back to the first week. But I'm wondering, as I, I again think back to that game, did the Steelers? And it's always a push-pull kind of thing. Uh, but did the Steelers make the Ravens, based on where they're at now, did the Steelers make the Ravens look better than they actually are? Uh, I think they let them run the ball, and that's a problem. Um, Probably a little of both. I mean, I don't think that's a bad Baltimore team. I don't think it's uh, a top-tier contender in the AFC, but I don't think it's an 8-8 team either. Um, Probably a little of both. Uh, I think you go back to how – Poorly, the Steelers were playing at that point, and and how well Baltimore traditionally plays against Pittsburgh, and it was just sort of a bad, you know, wrong place at the wrong time type of deal. Um, I, I think the Steelers will play a lot better this time, and I think it'll be a much closer game. And lastly, Mike, in that well, a couple of things. Uh, um, in that regard, are are you think there's gaining evidence? That and again, we'll find out after Sunday that that the Steelers, as many expected before the season began, that the Steelers are the best team in the division. Yeah, I would agree with that. Sure, uh, I might uh, I might agree with that even if they lose Sunday. Although I think that you know I wasn't expecting as much from Baltimore as I've seen to this point. Now it's only the midway point or so, but I think the Ravens are better than I thought they were going to be. But uh, yeah. I, I think the Steelers team still has another gear if they can get that quarterback thing figured out. And, um, boy, I'm wondering what it would look like if uh, Le'Veon Bell shows up and gets himself in a good shape, uh, how how the offense might function. I don't know. If you had Heinz Ward, or excuse me, Antonio Brown, Juju Smith-Schuster, Vance McDonald, James Conner, and Le'Veon Bell as your five skill guys on the field, uh, I wonder what they might be able to accomplish with that. Well, that was my final question because that's the next segment. 
Um, we know the trading deadline is coming up in about three hours and 24 minutes, to be exact. Um, and it uh, wouldn't surprise anybody to see Bell burst through the front door at 4-0-0-0-0-0-1. Um, exp- if indeed that happens, whether it's right at 4-0-1 or whether it's tomorrow, whatever it is, how do you think the Steelers will deal with that as far as he, you know, he's concerned? Um, do they put him on the exemption uh, roster exemption list? Uh, how much time does he get? All those kinds of variables. I think it's entirely up to Le'Veon Bell what he looks like when he gets here. If he, if he looks like the guy on the jet ski, it's going to be a problem, right? <laughs> uh, if he's in shape and, and he can help, come on down. Uh, I, don't, I don't think there's going to be any kind of hard feelings. I don't think they're going to mess with him uh, for any financial reason. If they bring him back, it's to help him win football games. And if he can help him win football games, everybody in that locker room will accept him. Uh, maybe this is the perfect... Uh, scenario playing out in retrospect, Stan, because he didn't, Bell didn't want the wear and tear of 400 touches. What if he's fine with being a compliment to James Conner? What if Conner's in the backfield and Bell's in the slot and he ends up catching a bunch of balls? What if they change him? What if they're interchangeable in terms of how they can line him up? Uh, What if they just pound away and split the carries? Uh, There's a lot of possibility if Le'Veon Bell's the guy that we remember. Now, if he's not, then... I don't think it's going to go very far. But I, I think this could still play out a number of ways, which is why I think a bunch of us keep asking about it and, and thinking about it. Uh, it's intriguing still. Uh, it is. And and uh, I would imagine you know people will be scoping out the facility uh, here where we're at today uh, to see if he does show up as the watch continues, as it has uh, really since the, the first practice of the first week of the regular season. He can't the whole year out, right? He can't just leave $14 million on the on the floor, right? Well, if he figures he's going to be an unrestricted free agent, you know, at, at, at some point next year, um, and, and he's banking on that huge payday, um, I, one thing, Mike, you wouldn't think so, but, um, I mean, I think his value will decrease if he doesn't play it down this year. I do. I, I don't think that, you know, people will be willing to invest, uh, you know, that as much as he thinks he's going to get uh, if, if he doesn't play it down uh, this year. Uh, you know, but it only takes you know one team to go ahead and yeah. do that. Yeah, um, yeah that's absolutely okay. There'll be at least one. Yeah. Sure. And the other thing is too. Let's let's remember something. It's, you know, it's a lot of money, but let's also remember that the man made twelve and a half million dollars last year. Um, and, and unless you just you know totally frittered that away, uh, you're not going to be at, uh, standing in any bread lines anytime soon. Not to mention the money that he made up until that point with signing bonuses. So you know maybe it's not all that important to him. It's to him, I think it's the principle of here's what I am, here's what I do, here's what I should be paid to be what I am and to do what I do. Well, if it's principle, God bless him. Uh, I can tell you this: I, I took some of the same economics classes at Michigan State that he probably took. <laughs> and they weren't teaching us to leave $14 million on the table and walk away. You're, you're assuming that he was actually going to class. That, that may be. Oh, well, yeah, that's pretty big. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that, that. Never mind. Yeah, me, yeah. Yeah, that's not a good analogy. I'm glad you went, though. There were, there uh, were two econ classes that were mandatory for all freshmen. But, uh, then again, I don't know if that applied to varsity athletes. So There you go. There you go. Mike, thanks very much. I uh, always enjoy the conversation. Mike, on the DV Morning Show, of course, every morning, and on the pregame show beginning at 11 a.m. Sunday morning as the Steelers head to Baltimore. Thanks a lot, Mike. That's Mike Prezuda of the DV Morning Show. Uh, Le'Veon Bell, he very well could show up today. You know, it's, it's sort of like that thing um, – 
you know, you sort of never know when it's coming. And you, ah, well, you know, well, that'll be next week and put it off. There have been so many, well, Bell sightings. He's going to show up next week. He's going to show up the bye week. Well, the latest of the latest is that he didn't want to get traded, so that's why he hasn't reported. But the trade deadline's at four. Um, if he shows up after four, they can't trade him. If indeed that's what he has been worried about. So, again, another deadline is here. It's sort of an arbitrary deadline, but it's another one. So, if he shows and signs his tender, what do the Steelers do? Both with the contract with him and the division of labor between Bell and James Conner. We'll talk about that next. Mike Tomlin Press Conference coming up at the top of the hour right here on Savernon Sports on ESPN Pittsburgh. Check out ESPN Pittsburgh's new and improved signal in Allegheny County on 106.3 FM. The same great programming with Tunch and Wolf, The Godfather, and Adam Crowley, but with a bigger, better signal in Allegheny County. ESPN Pittsburgh, 970 AM. And now on the new and improved 106.3 FM. This report is brought to you by Napa. ESPN Pittsburgh Traffic. Many blocks shut down in Squirrel Hill in connection with the Tree of Life shooting over the weekend. And now some funerals underway. This is a Shady Avenue at Wilkins and on out for many blocks. Pat Winters, Total Traffic. This month at participating Napa Auto Parts stores, pick up a two-pack of Napa Night Vision headlamps for up to $10 off. Their superior nighttime illumination helps you see better and drive safer. And you save up to 10 bucks. Quality parts, helpful people, that's Napa know-how. It's time for podcasters to get the recognition they deserve for their role influencing pop culture and public opinion. And you decide which podcasts are the best. Introducing the iHeartRadio Podcast Awards. Presented by Capital One. The first major podcast awards where your vote will decide who wins. Over 20 categories like crime, comedy, music, sports, curiosity, and more. Cast your vote and you're automatically qualified to join us in person for the first ever iHeartRadio Podcast Awards. Live from Los Angeles, January 18th. Vote now at iHeartPodcastAwards.com. This is Phil Bork for Chapino Restaurant and Cigar Bar in the Strip District. Chapino is locally owned and has been Pittsburgh's luxury cigar bar for almost 10 years. Gather for dinner and enjoy their full seafood and chop house menu, which is offered daily within their separate cigar bar area. Chapino's on-site humidor houses a great collection of cigars, but feel free to bring along a cigar from your personal collection. There is no cutting fee. Chapino Restaurant and Cigar Bar in the Strip District. Pittsburgh's original luxury cigar bar. Pros in the know start with Lowe's. Because at Lowe's, pros save on tools they rely on to get the job done. Now get up to 35% off select DeWalt power tools and accessories, including the DeWalt 10-tool 20-volt cordless combo kit, now $529. That's $320 off. Plus, save 5% on eligible purchases every day when you use your Lowe's business credit account. So, pro, now that you know, start with Lowe's. DeWalt offer valid through 11-4. While supplies last, credit offer subject to credit approval. Can't be combined with other credit offers. Supply, US only. The Fix Finder tool from AutoZone is a source of relief. Because when your check engine goes, our Fix Finder goes. No matter what your problem is, our Fix Finder will help you troubleshoot it. For some, it's just a loose gas cap. For others, an O2 sensor. So you can kiss that yellow light goodbye and go. Ah. It's the free Fix Finder from AutoZone. It's just one more way AutoZone helps you do more. Because doing more is what we do best. So visit any of our 5,500 AutoZone locations nationwide today. See store for details. Get in the zone, Got roof problems? Call Weather Seal now and get your problem fixed fast. Get a brand new Weather Seal roof for just $1 down with seven years zero interest financing. 
Call now and you can have your new roof installed next week, weather permitting. Plus, you get free gutters or gutter covers with your new roof purchase. Call 800-591-3956. That's 800-591-3956. Or go to weathersealhomeservices.com. Prior sales excluded. Hey, this is the Fat Jack, and football season is here. Are you playing the games against the spread? Imagine turning a profit this year. Go to FatJackSports.com and get winning, consistent selections. Everybody gets exactly the same selections, text to your cell phone or email, and then they're posted and documented for everybody to see. My clients have been winning for over 20 years, and we're going to do it again this year. Go to FatJackSports.com for consistent winning selections. That's FatJackSports.com to win. FatJackSports.com, the place you need to go to turn a profit betting the games. Pros in the nose. Start with Lowe's, because at Lowe's, pros save on tools they rely on to get the job done. Now get up to 35% off select DeWalt power tools and accessories, including the DeWalt 10-tool 20-volt cordless combo kit, now $529. That's $320 off. Plus, save 5% on eligible purchases every day when you use your Lowe's business credit account. So, pro, now that you know, start with Lowe's. DeWalt offer valid through 11-4. While supplies last, credit offer subject to credit approval. Can't be combined with other credit offers. Exclusions apply U.S. only. This month at participating Napa Auto Parts stores, pick up a two-pack of Napa Night Vision headlamps for up to $10 off. Their superior nighttime illumination helps you see better and drive safer. And you save up to 10 bucks. Quality parts, helpful people, that's Napa know-how. Take us with you wherever you go. ESPN Pittsburgh is on the iHeartRadio app. Anywhere, anytime, and always free. ESPN Pittsburgh, an iHeartRadio station. It's not personal, it's strictly business. This is business, and this man has taken it very, very personal. Saverin on Sports, ESPN Pittsburgh, on 970 AM and 106.3 FM. The give to Connor. Connor spins away from the man, up over the 30, still steps out of a tackle, 35-40, 45-50, and he's shoved out of bounds in Brown's territory. A nifty run by James Connor and a fine block by Justin Hunter to help clear the way. Randall got him out of bounds. You know, I had a front row seat for his college exploits, you know, so not that we're surprised by his talents or his play demeanor or his displays of will, you know, um, it's pretty impressive. It is that, and maybe Mike Tomlin wasn't surprised by James Conner's performance, <clears throat> but he would be in the minority. I think most people realize that James was a good running back at Pitt, <clears throat> but this is, you know, I'm playing against Wake Forest now. Uh, and he's just been fantastic. I mean, he, he's been about as good as any back in the NFL, and some of the bigger names and so on and so forth. Um, and that changes the dynamic should Le'Veon Bell return. Uh, I'll read some of these comments, and I'll, I'll react to them because there's a varying uh, degree of responses here. On Facebook, Tony says, bury Bell on the depth chart and leave him there. Ed says, ignore him, move on. Bob says, if Bell comes in, probably fat and out of shape, he's only there for the paycheck. They need to sit him down and get some real hard communication and commitment. Tim has a more moderate approach. He says, Bell's a commodity. Use him in ways that help you win. And when he doesn't help anymore, you bench him until free agency when you can cut him loose. Then put the third round pick in your pocket and move on. At this point, he's already saved over $6 million for next year's cap. Get out of him what you can for this season, and then move on. I think that's what you're looking at. There are a lot of people, like Michael says, can't they release him? Yeah, they could. But a lot of people are angry at Bell for what he's done, for the way he's handled it. 
But see, you as fans, you can afford to be angry. If you're in the business of potentially winning championships like a team, you can't think that way. A lot of people want Bell gone because of how he's handled things. But that's not taking into account the benefit of having him as a football player. He's a very talented guy. He can help you win games. Why would anyone doubt that? <clears throat> now, the way Connor's played, no way does James Connor lose his starting position. No way is James Connor not the feature running back. But that doesn't mean that you can't find ways, creative ways or otherwise, to have James Conner remain the number one back, but also to utilize the unique skills of Le'Veon Bell. Many of those skills are skills that not only doesn't James Conner have, but very few in the NFL have. So why wouldn't you want to use that, uh, the, that asset? Because you're mad at him? That doesn't make any sense, none whatsoever. You're in the business of winning, and you're going to part company with him next year anyway. He can help you win games. Now, obviously, when he reports, you have to monitor what kind of shape he's in, and even if he's in peak physical condition, what kind of football shape is he in? That's something that's got to be taken into account, too. Of course. But for those who say, well, we're mad at him, he's not a real stealer, he's concerned about himself, that doesn't mean that he is still not a good football player, a unique football player, and a guy that can help you win games. Now, if he comes back and signs, and he's half-assing it in practice, by all means, get him out of there. Christopher says, send Le'Veon on his way. Why? Because you're mad at it? Stupid. Jeff offers split him out wide with Bell, Brown, Juju, Vance, Connor on the field. That would create nightmares for pass coverage. Indeed, it would. Gary says, I think it would be foolish for fans and more importantly, the coaching staff to ignore Le'Veon Bell as an addition to the team. He can be utilized in so many areas. You don't have a player like that in your arsenal and leave him on the bench. In fact, the coaching staff should be analyzing how best to use him. Graham adds, we, know, we don't know what kind of shape Bell will be in. You've got to stick with Connors the number one. Absolutely. No one's suggesting that. I mean, all of a sudden people are suggesting that oh, he's going to come in here and, and you're never going to see James Conner again. That is not going to happen. As I told you over a month ago, they could play both of them at the same time. Conner in his traditional running back set with Bell out in the slot. I mean, he's a guy you have to pay attention to. It's not like you're putting Dan Kreider in the slot or Roosevelt Knicks. 
John says, Bell, make him go through physical therapy daily until he nearly passes out. Yeah, that's a smart. So glad you contributed that. All right, the Mike Tomlin press conference is coming up in just about six or seven minutes. We'll have that for you. Uh, after Mike Tomlin is done, you will hear from Dale Lolly and Jerry Dulac. On the program tomorrow, for me, by the way, uh, we'll be talking uh, with Josh Yoey, talking about the Penguins. They have a game of the night, and, of course, more Steelers talk as well. Time now for this date in sports history. And in this date in 1954, the NBA introduced the shot clock for the very first time. 24-second shot clock. Amazing, one thing stayed the same. That's it um, all these years. 64 years ago, right? It was the Rochester team against Boston. Rochester against Boston Celtics. That was the game. Also in this state in 1974. I'm new for this fight. I'd have wrestled with an alligator. That's right. I have wrestled with an alligator. I done tussled with a whale. I done handcuffed lightning, throw thunder in jail. That's bad. <laughs> Muhammad Ali on this date. It was the Rumble in the Jungle where Muhammad Ali introduced the rope-a-dope as he beat George Foreman in a TKO in Zaire, Africa. It happened in this state in 1974. How about some birthdays for you today? Happy birthday goes to former Pittsburgh Triangle, member of the tennis team. Joanne Russell played on that team, and she spent part of her career teaching in Pittsburgh. She is 64 years of age today. Happy birthday goes to former Pittsburgh Pirate pitcher Ian Snell. Used to go by the name of Ian Aquendo. Ian Snell is 37 today, and happy birthday goes to this great soccer star. Diego Maradona, one of the great international ho- uh, soccer stars. He's 58 today, and this gentleman was born in this state in 1918, one of the greatest hitters ever in Major League Baseball. Ted Williams was born on this date 100 years ago today. All right, again, the Mike Tomlin press conference is coming up in just a very few minutes. Uh, I would imagine he'll talk about what the he'll be asked about the funeral scenarios, which he and many members of the Steeler organization attended, including a lot of the players. Uh, injury updates and thoughts about the Baltimore game, that's coming up directly, so do not go away. The Mike Tomlin Press Conference is next on the Steelers Radio Network, also on Steelers Nation Radio and ESPN Pittsburgh. The Saverin on Steelers Podcast from Steelers Nation Radio. We acknowledged last week that Cleveland was the best in the world at producing turnovers, so to go into a stadium acknowledging that somebody is you know, really solid in an area and still um, you know, not have a good enough performance in that area is troubling. Uh, we got to do a better job with ball security. Um, you know, that's that's going to be catastrophic to our efforts if if we don't improve in those areas. Uh, we got to get the ball more on the other side, and I think those two things work hand in hand. Uh, we're not producing enough turnovers. I think we've gotten nine and seven games, and you know, um, I think we were talking about twenties even last week prior to playing Cleveland in terms of their output. And so they're setting the standard there. We want to be in any of those conversations. Uh, we believe getting the ball will help us in our efforts. 
Uh, we got to get the ball more. We got to do a better job of maintaining possession of the ball. We're still continuing to work to improve in terms of our technique and, and our awareness from a penalty standpoint in an effort to reduce those um, to improve our chances of winning. Um, that first series of the game, we converted a third down and two. We got a penalty, it pushed it to third and 11, and then we were punting. And, uh, you know, those are more than just plays. Those are possessions. And possessions obviously are significant. You look around today's NFL, particularly at the dominant teams, you can't afford to waste possessions. Uh, it's just the reality of it. But we found our footing. Um, we made some splash plays. I thought our big people controlled the line of scrimmage uh, as the game were on, our offensive line, our defensive line, uh, whether it was uh, producing running lanes for James Conner and, and protection for Ben. Um, on offense or, you know, minimizing the run so that we were in favorable possession down circumstances on the other side. And then we were able to pressure uh, Baker Mayfield and try to get him off of his spot and create some negativity and win those down. So as the game unfolded, I thought those things became more evident. Uh, but obviously, we got more work to do. Um, we'll continue to do it this week. We'll do it with an edge as we prepare for more AFC North ball. And um, that is that. It's significant for us, our third uh, consecutive AFC North game, this one being on the road. Um, our senses are heightened, obviously. Um, from, a, from a health standpoint, um, Ben uh, had a fractured index finger on his left hand. Um, you know, it didn't prohibit him from being effective in the second half of the game, but obviously we'll, we'll look at it um, in terms of his availability this week and how it might affect him in a practice setting and so forth. Not anticipating it. Uh, being an issue for him in play uh, or in game, uh, but I did talk about it after. I want to give you guys an update. Cody Sensabaugh will be managed day to day with his uh, with his toe, uh, and see what that means for his availability. Um, Marcus Gilbert uh, missed the last game with the knee. Um, he'll be given an opportunity to participate this week and uh, see what that participation uh, looks like in terms of his availability. I also would mention that you know Matt, who filled in in place of him. Uh, did more than a serviceable job, but we've come to expect that from Matt as we have the others. Um, you know, we don't have backups. We have starters and starters and waiting. And the standard is the standard of expectation. And so guys like Matt and B.J. Finney and others, and there have been many already this year, uh, you know, make, make, that, make that phrase reality with, with their above-the-line performances, and uh, we're appreciative of that. As we prepare for Baltimore, you know, we prepare with an edge. Like I said, uh, this is a significant game for, for us and for them. Um, they're a 4-4 four and four team. I know they're fighting um, to, to, to stay in the hunt, as are we. Um, it's at their place. Uh, they're coming off two consecutive uh, losses. Uh, they got a quality team. And uh, hadn't been that long ago since we played them, but there are some significant things to, to acknowledge as we prepare for them. On the defensive side of the ball, um, the pressure that they put on the quarterback is is a signature of their play. I think they got 27 sacks or so. Um, it's Suggs and company. They do it the way that they do it. They get after your quarterback. Uh, they're really good blitzers. Um, they beat blocks. Um, they put consistent pressure on your passer. Um, they couple of that with tight coverage. You know, they're the number one uh, defense in football. I think they're number two versus the pass. Um, they got a veteran safety tandem. Uh, and Weddle and Jefferson, man, they do a lot. Uh, they're very versatile. Their pre-snap looks um, are challenging. Uh, they're interchangeable um, by concept or even just thoughtfully. 
Sometimes you'll see a concept and Jefferson will do it. The next time you'll see it in the game, it'll be Weddle doing it. And that just speaks to the versatility and the cohesion that they have within that tandem that makes operating from the offensive side uh, more difficult. Um, they also have Jimmy Smith back. They didn't have Jimmy Smith the last time we played him. We got a lot of respect for him. He's a quality shutdown corner. Um, I'd imagine they're excited about having him back in the fold to go along with the other quality cover men. Um, C.J. Mosley had missed some time leading up to our last game, and so our last game was the first game, I think, back for him. Um, boy, I'm seeing the, the benefits of, of consistent availability when it comes to C.J. Mosley, man. He's just a – you name a situation, he's a guy in the middle of it, uh, whether it's coverage or whether it's rush, whether it's interior run or perimeter run. He is a vertical player. He's a horizontal player. Um, he, he's got – his name is in every discussion when you're talking about what they do on defense. So um, he's finding his rhythm. I know he missed some time there early. He's a big-time contributor to their efforts. On the offensive side of the ball, um, you know, it's all about Joe Flacco and the utilization of weapons and how multiple they are and the ways that they challenge you from a personnel standpoint. Um, got a myriad of tight ends. I think they got four in their roster. They've been suiting all four of them. And I'm talking about high-pedigree guys. Um, guys that they've had like Doyle and Williams, but also the addition of guys um, like Andrews in their first-round pick, Hurst, who, who didn't play against us last time. So we got to be ready for the tight end personnel groups, the, 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 the gapping and things that, that the use of multiple tight ends produces and, and their flexibility within it. Uh, the athleticism of those tight ends allowed them to not only play traditional multiple tight end ball, but also spread you out and challenge you in the ways that, that Joe's comfortable doing from a spread standpoint. So uh, we got a lot of work ahead of us. Um, quality special teams unit, as always. The specialists are top-notch. Um, you know, we're excited about the opportunities that the journey presents, man. This week is no different than any other. Um, our hair is standing up for obvious reasons. There's AFC North football. It's a road game in Baltimore. Um, man, you got to love the National Football League. Questions? Coach, second, late in the second quarter, it's fourth and one. You're down on the Cleveland four. Is there something you saw, a call that came in from one of the other coaches that made you go for the for the touchdown? No, we just, you know, we're thoughtfully aggressive. Uh, I'm not going to speak to anything specifically that was the tipping point. But those that know us know that we play and play to win, and uh, we don't live in our fears. When you convert something like that, you're trying to play off the momentum to build momentum for later in the game and confidence, I assume. Uh, you can assume. I'm just playing to win. <laughs> yes. Mike, the, uh, the last game against Baltimore, uh, it seemed like they controlled the line of scrimmage. You mentioned that your team did that last week. Uh, is it critical this week to make that happen against this team in particular? You know, I don't know if they control the line of scrimmage as much as they control possession downs. You know, usually when you're losing possession downs, it's because they're less than favorable for you offensively or they're very manageable for your opposing offense. Um, we didn't do good enough on possession downs. We didn't do well enough on possession downs. And some of them were very manageable for our offense, and some of them were long for their offense. So, you know, as I look back at it, particularly in the second half of play where the game really unfolded, um, we didn't do enough on possession downs. We didn't get off the field on defense, and we didn't sustain drives on offense. I thought that that was probably the, the singular most deciding factor in terms of how the game unfolded. 
Mike, you had several uh, touchdowns in the two-minute drill at the end of half. So what's been the catalyst for that? We work it hard. You guys watch us in training camp. You know, we, we work it every two or three days. And, um, you know, you, you have an expectation when you work the way that we've worked in, in that area specifically. And um, hopefully our guys have that expectation as well. Um, I know that the results are probably indicative of those expectations. But when you, when you, when you put time into something, um, you, you expect the result of that, that work. And uh, I think we're getting it in that area. Mike, do you believe that your team's level of physicality has increased from earlier in the season? Are you playing more physical ball now? You know, um, I hadn't thought about it. I'd like to think that that's the case, and this is why. Um, I, I think that the better you have an understanding of your job, the better that you have an understanding of how your job fits into the bigger picture. Um, There's a couple of things that happen. The more that you communicate and the faster people play. And I think good communication and fast play produces physicality. It produce, produces certainty and movement. And uh, I think that allows guys to play fast and free and thus more physical. Mike, why didn't Artie play any defensive snaps last week? Uh, he was late to a Saturday walkthrough, and then it was my choice not to play him. Um, you know, we'll keep working with Artie, man. He's, uh, he had a good week of practice last week. Uh, I don't want to make more out of it than what it is, uh, but he was late. And uh, we wanted to be focused with the guys that were wired in and appropriately where they needed to be in the hours leading up to kickoff. And so uh, he suffered the consequences of that. Um, we'll roll that ball back out and get back on task with him and others this week. You mentioned Mike. practice, but if, if Cody can't go, do you feel confident in Artie? In Artie I'll let you know after I watch this week's preparation, not only in regards to him, but Cody. Um, we'll let his availability be our guide in terms of whether or not he plays. I mean what I say. When I say that, is Cam Sutton involved in that now too, Mike? In, over there, he's been involved. But I mean, is he a possibility? Is if, if, if anybody on the fifty-three is a possibility, including Brian Allen? Baker Mayfield, he prays on the defense. He said, even though they had two drives toward the end of the half, you guys basically stuck with your with your formula, and he basically said you're more proactive than reactive. Do you have the same assessment of that as well? Um, I'm not aware of his comments. I, I'll just say this. Um, we build a plan week in and week out, and we generally stick to that plan, and um, we try not to be reactionary in thought. Um, part of being good in this league is eliminating problems before they happen, and, um, and if they do happen, you better eliminate them quickly. So I think that's always our mentality in terms of how we build plans or, or address issues or circumstances. Like James Conner in the last Baltimore game, I think he had nine carries, 19 yards. How much did you get away from him? How much did that have to do with controlling the time of possession and the possession downs that you're talking about? And, and was that kind of a tipping point to realize that the running game needed to be more? You know, oftentimes running game or opportunities in the run game are controlled by game circumstance. We got down by 14, and then we didn't convert third downs in the second half, so we didn't have enough snaps. So that's going to minimize total number of carries. So... You can paint whatever picture you want regarding the run game. The last time we played them, uh, you know, it never came to fruition for a number of reasons. Your home crowd is chanting his name. Your quarterback has been so vocal in talking about how much he likes to play with him. What is it about him that people like so much? He's run for 100 yards in three straight games. <laughs> I mean, that's not hard to figure out, you know. I'm sure they have, you know. Mike, um, 
you know, Baltimore's been able to keep their defense at the top of the league through all these changes. I, mean, I know there's a strategic evolution and personnel evolution, but in your view, they have the same kind of personality they had when they had, you know, they subtracted a couple of Hall of Famers, but is their personality the same to you? Do they look like the same? They, they, play, they play defense, and generally they play football the way that they play football, and they have continuity. I think continuity allows you to do that with Coach Harbaugh um, in the lead, but also, you know, Coach Martindale. Coach Martindale might be new to the coordinator job, but, I mean, how many years has Martindale been in, been, been in Baltimore? Um, they've got great continuity, and so as they go through changes, um, it's not changes. Um, you know, some of the names – um, have changed over the years, but a lot of their talent is homegrown and, and developed. Um, shoot, it used to be Starks and McAllister, and there's Jimmy Smith, for example. It used to be Ray Lewis, and there's C.J. Mosley. Um, you know, Suggs has played forever and probably will continue to play forever. Um, but I think continuity lends itself to that personality that you speak of that remains consistent. Can you speak to the difficulty of keeping continuity despite changing personnel? I mean, how difficult it is for you guys to do that? You know, not necessarily compared to another organization, just you know, trying to keep that personality as, as you change. You know, continuity is good, provided that it's positive. When it's not, you got to make changes, obviously. So, um, you, you know, I don't think a lot about continuity. I think a lot about, you know, being competent and competitive and good. And um, continuity is just kind of born out of those things if you're continually focused on, on those things. Coach is often mentioned that the standard is the standard and how you have young players really stepping up and making a significant impact on your team. Talk about Mike Hilton um, as a young defensive back. Uh, you know, he uh, did a great job against um, uh, uh, Jarvis Landry. And, you know, he's done quite, a, quite well against some of those slot receivers. Talk about him coming from... Uh, practice squad player to being a significant part of your defense? You know, um, Mike's story is probably reflective of a lot of stories. Um, Mike just works hard every day and takes advantage of opportunities given. And when he does, we give him more. And, um, you know, he wants to be a central reason why we're uh, successful. Um, and he's anteing up and kicking in daily. You know, uh, those sub-package defenders don't, don't get enough credit. You know, they might not be classified as starters, but guys like Mike Hilton and Morgan Burnett and, and L.J. Fort, man, are, are significant contributors to our effort. Um, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention we had all three of those sub-package defenders available to us last week, and that's probably why uh, our, our third-down performance probably in particular looked the way it looked. Um, we haven't had a lot of – uh, games this year where all three of those guys were available to us. So um, it speaks to that continuity discussion, whether it's over the long haul and you're talking about an organization through the course of years or you're talking about a unit week to week. Um, Mike has missed some time with injury. Uh, Morgan's missed some time with injury. Fort's missed some time with injury. It's good to have all three guys available. I think that increases our chances of being su successful in them significant possession downs in which they operate. Today being the trade deadline, as long as you've been here, you kind of held on to draft picks. Why is that so important? Why do you value them so much? You know, um, we believe in homegrown talent. We, we invest time and, and resources into development of players. Um, players buy into what we're selling and work their tails off to, to, to improve and, and, and be reasons why we're successful. Um, I, I think that I think it's difficult to walk away from relationships when people are invested. 
Uh, we are invested. The players are invested. It is what it is. I hadn't thought a lot about it, to be honest with you. Um, you know, I'm sure the phone may ring. We'll see what happens. But uh, more than anything, I've just been focused on preparing for Baltimore. Anyone else? All right. Do you, do you expect uh, Le'Veon Bell back? Any other questions? <laughs> <laughs> Y'all have a good evening. <laughs>